This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, I'm Matt Chorley and this is the Red Box podcast from The Times. On this week's panel, we have economics editor Philip Aldrich on Osborne getting lucky, Red Box reporter Natasha Clark on unreliable pollsters and theatre critic and columnist Anne Treneman on a bridge too far. This is what we're talking about this week. Global markets have been in meltdown, but one man who may be smiling is the Chancellor. Government borrowing costs have fallen to an all-time low, which makes servicing the nation's $1.5 trillion of debt cheaper. Over the next five years, Capital Economics estimates lower market interest rates and lower inflation will hand George Osborne a £20 billion windfall. He's struggling to make the books balance through tax and spending policy. Instead, he's getting a helping hand from the most unlikely of sources. The polls are all we have to try and figure out what's going to happen with the EU referendum. But the polls lately have been showing us drastically different answers. There have been 22 percentage points difference between some polls for results in support of Remain and around 13 percentage points difference for Leave. Pollsters say that the phone and internet polling will show us different answers, possibly because people are more likely to say that they want to remain in over the phone and more likely to answer more truthfully in support of Brexit online. But what's interesting is that we did not see this result in the Scottish referendum. Are the pollsters relying too heavily on younger Labour voters and skewing results? Will the polls be able to predict the referendum at all? Everyone talks about austerity, but here in London, we have our own example of how we are still capable of putting our head in the sand and leaving it there. I speak of the Garden Bridge, an eco-friendly, tree-sprouting, grass-waving, pedestrian bridge, the passion of Joanna Lumley, which is to cross the Thames at an already much-bridged place between Waterloo and Blackfriars Bridges. The Garden Bridge has caused controversy since the get-go, not least because now £60 million of public money is to be spent on it. Why? Is this really where we want to be spending our arts and leisure money? In London, on an eco-bridge? Why not at least put it in another city? Boris loves it, saying it makes London the greenest city in Europe, which is, frankly, ridiculous. Okay, so a mixed uh, selection of topics there. Uh, Philip, let's start with George Osborne getting lucky again. He's found yet more money down the back of the sofa. Yeah, this is uh, courtesy of the international financial markets. We've uh, we've seen a massive drop uh, to a record low in the cost of government borrowing. And the sort of benchmark uh, term for this borrowing is, is 10 years. Back in 2009, when interest rates were cut to 0.5%, uh, it would still cost the government about 4% a year to borrow money from the markets, which obviously is where it gets its its, its uh, debt from. Today, or 
recently it's been about it's gone as low as 1.23% which is this record low um, and it's hovering around it's been hovering around 1.4% um, as a result the 1.5 trillion of debt that we've got is a heck of a lot uh, easier to serve cheaper to service and and you know it's going to save him by 2019 2020 um, capital economics estimates is going to save him 5 billion pounds in that year alone and sort of 20 billion 21 billion over the over the parliament as a whole and this is good news for George Osborne because we've got the budget coming up on March the 16th. Yeah. He's got a lot of things he's got to try and square off. He, you know, he'll want to put behind him what happened last year with tax credits. Uh, and being told you've got £20 billion essentially in his back pocket is good news. But what, should, what, what do you think he should do with that? Does well, he he's, bank he's, it? Or he's got to he... bank it. I mean, what, he, he, this isn't the first time the markets have come to his rescue. They, they helped him out um, in the November autumn statement and the spending review where he backtracked on his welfare cuts and he, and he eased the spending cuts. So what happened then was it was forecasting changes by the Office of Budget Responsibility, which involved market interest rates and involved lower inflation and involved their own changed assumptions. And as a result, there was a 27 billion pound windfall so it was even bigger back in back in november no one thought that that was sustainable and somehow market rates have fallen even further so he's going to get this extra money he is you know on the other hand he is facing headwinds he's got uh wages are not rising as fast as they thought so income taxes are going to be lower and also there is a a global markets disrupt disruptive element here as well because equity prices are are down and as a result um the institute of fiscal studies reckons uh he's going to make about two billion less a year in 2019 2020 than um, uh, than was projected uh, from capital taxes this is stamp duty type taxes um, on shares the, I suppose one of the big problems he's got is that you know they always say this in adverts your finance could go up as well as down the, yeah in theory at some point in the future he could end Lose up with all. higher costs yeah this, exactly. this, 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 mean, is, this is something he can't necessarily bank yeah, exactly. This is why he, he got in trouble for, for uh, well, he should bank it. He got in trouble for spending it in November. This is, um, markets are very volatile, as we've as we've experienced in, in just the last, the first three months of this year, first two months of this year. Uh, and so what they can give, they can easily take away. And it, and it can happen in a blink of an eye. It can happen in a matter of uh, weeks. And so if, his, if he goes into the budget, and the uh, the markets are pricing Armageddon with these incredibly low rates. Well, if things turn more positive in a month or two, they can start uh, just jacking up the, the the price of borrowing. And you know, come November at his autumn statement, then it's the next big set piece. Then uh, he may find that that twenty billion has just vanished, and he's and he's got to if he spends it, he's then going to have to find ways of uh, of meeting that with new. Uh, taxes or new spending cuts or whatever. So yeah, he should he should just bank it and just thank his lucky stars. He doesn't have to do anything, you know, nasty uh, in in the uh, in the budget. And in your previous life, you were time sketch writer and mm. have seen George Osborne have lots yes. of these big. I have a PhD in watching George Osborne. <laughs> um, do you think it's in his nature to bank it, or will he? Because he does love a rabbit. Out oh of no, the I, I think. Um, we can predict what he's going to do, which he's going to say he's going to bank it. He's going to say he's fixing the river while the sun's shining. He's Mr. Responsible, Mr. Not Spending, not, not Gordon Brown. But what will happen is he will then announce something, quite a few things actually, which will mean he'll have to spend it in some way. Because he just, <laughs> he is like a, he is a torn person between, you know, his sort of sadomonetarism thing where we all are austere and not spending any money and. The great giveaway, the great kind of HS2, the great, you know, the northern powerhouse. The I really can't remember his latest endless schemes that he's, you know, backing, but then 
can't afford. So, um, but that's sort of that's sort of his problem, isn't it? Is that he yeah. has to keep <laughs> the, the people can never remember what the last big rabbit was. What's well, his and problem? People sort but of it's bank also the good and then thing. Think, oh, it's fine, and then we'll go, you know that was that was exciting for twenty four hours, and it, then he's got to come back with something again in, in the autumn, and then in the next spring. And... Well, Nick, Nick McPherson, who's the treasury, the outgoing treasury permanent secretary, was in front of MPs uh, recently, and he said. Uh, he said it was the problem. The problem with politics basically is that you have to produce something at these big set piece events. And he wishes that the that the politicians would just play it safe and bank things and make sure that the public finances were okay. But you know, he said regretfully or something like that. Um, you know, he, these you know, the, the ministers feel like they but have also, to do something. No, well, George in particular feels like he has to do something. I mean, he he loves doing things. <laughs> he, he wants you know he wants to be prime minister, so he's got to actually start producing things that are even more exciting than in the past. And I think also he is prone, though, to in his budgets and his big things. He is prone to mistakes. You know, we've had tax we've had credits, few, but yeah. I mean, you know, we all remember the the, the Omni shambles. The Omni shambles yeah. budget and the pasty tax, and and his, you know, his his personal ratings have been up and down ever since, and they currently seem to be in a, a bit of a down. Natasha, one of the things that annoys George Osborne more than anything is if people say he's turning into Gordon Brown. But partly that's what he's got to do in the next few months is to try and make the transition from being seen as the Chancellor to the obvious next successor. How successful do you think yeah. he's being at doing that? Um, I'm not sure how he's going to do that. I, I personally don't think he's, he's, he's doing that well. Uh, I think he comes across, well, to me anyway, he comes across as quite a cold person. I think you have to be, especially as a Chancellor in, in sort of an austerity parliament, as this quite tough person that's going to just, you know, make cuts and make difficult decisions, as he keeps saying, for the, for the rest of the country. But I can't see how he's going to turn that around and make that into a, a, a prime minister that's going to be warm, that's going to appeal to the public. And what do you think about that? How how can he make the how can George Osborne become a cuddly, warm prime minister? Cuddly is not in his, as they say in politics, DNA. Um, he's not <laughs> he's not capable of that. But he is capable of being very clever, and he's also capable of being quite respected. He's always had a real soft spot for Gordon Brown. I mean, don't forget he shadowed him for years, and you know I used to watch him. And the moment that he became Chancellor, his first couple question times, he was Gordon Brown. He does the exact same thing. He has the same acolytes feeding him endless, you are the most fabulous person and oh, thank you for this bridge and thank you for this roundabout and blah, blah, and you know, in terms of the commons. And he really works that largesse. That's what Gordon did. And then he also loves these set piece occasions, uh, building it up. I think he needs to watch that. I, I, he knows that. He knows that he could, he knows what went wrong with Gordon, but he is very susceptible to it. Just because he's seen the mistakes made before, he can make them again. Do you, do you think there's a danger with that? He's Philip. He's just a bit too. He's just trying to be a bit too clever. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I mean, it's his. It's his strength, isn't it? Really, that he. He's. He is a. He's very shrewd. He's politically extremely astute. He's. Um. He is. He has got this. You can never tell if he's a pragmatist or an ideologist. So if people are looking for a safe pair of hands, I mean, Osborne will win that battle. If they're looking for someone who's a bit fun um, and is going to sort of represent the country and you know on the global stages, uh, you know, win us, you know, give us a, a a lot of publicity, then obviously it'll be Boris. But so it depends how how we how we move. But I mean, he's he's very good at winning over people inside Whitehall and inside Westminster because he's he's very he's and very so. personable with with people he he's I, uh, identified as as being as being very good. And he and I think he does yeah in the yeah. city and elsewhere. He's, so you know there are there are there'll be he'll have a lot of uh, support. Yeah, he's found some, <laughs> some great project out there. Yeah. But do people want another Cameron? And he's so close to him. Yeah. Yeah. him in many Cameron ways. without the. Uh the warmth and the charm, yeah, mm. possibly, possibly. Well, the, well, it's it's this week that George Osborne is holed up in the 
Treasury focusing on the budget, while the rest of government and Whitehall is completely obsessed with what's happening in Brussels and David Cameron hopefully getting his deal with 27 other EU leaders. But, Natasha, the interesting thing that you've picked up and written about on Red Box this week is... Would you believe it? We might not be able to trust what the polls are telling us. Yes, so the the gist of this is we can't trust the polls and even the pollsters can't tell us why we can't trust the polls. So in summary, um, I took a look this week at some of the different polling companies and the differences between them. Basically, there's there's a huge discrepancy between some of the pollsters that are saying, you know, 58% of people will will want to remain in the EU, and then another pollster goes and says, oh, it's only 36%. So really, obviously, the number is probably somewhere in between, but that's really not telling us anything about whether that's going to have what impact that can have on the referendum. You know, the the, the last YouGov poll which we had, which really scared David Cameron, which we ran in the Times, you know, which was the one that was the first YouGov poll to put you know, Brexit in front, which obviously, yeah, really scared him and, and kind of everybody thought, OK, well, that's it, Brexit, you know, it's, it's, it's over, it's doomed now. But we, I think we really just have to be asking these questions about, about the pollsters and why they're getting such different results. And what pollsters have been telling me is that there's a huge difference between telephone polling and internet polling. And one theory behind this is that people are more likely to say on the say on, on the internet what they would be more likely to support, which is Brexit, because they feel like it's more of a kind of a stigmatised option, that they feel like um, saying uh, this on the phone would be you know, detrimental. So they're more likely to say, I don't know on the phone, and they're more likely to say uh, yes to Brexit on the internet. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Internet. It's, it's, it's a good idea of a shy outer. You know, people don't, you know, we used to have shy Tories and people wouldn't tell pollsters over the phone that they were Tories, but they might do it in the privacy of their own home while they're on the, on the internet. But in the same way that people, it's not, it's not seen as a socially acceptable thing to say there mm. might be an outer on the phone, slightly weirdly. Is this also going to be a referendum on whether the pollsters are any good? Because we obviously had the, the election where they just got it completely wrong. And if, if it all comes, if it all goes completely wrong here, are we going to lose trust and stop putting polls on the front page? I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's one. There's the, the guy who got the um, uh, the exit poll right in the election. I've forgotten his name. He seems to be the only guy who has genuine John Curtis. John Curtis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he seems to be the guy who has genuine credibility. I know guys in the city. Uh, they they don't listen to any other polls. They they follow his website and they just look at what what he what he is reading because he 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 does a much broader take. He tries to get a share of the demographic. He's it's not so random. He I think absolutely. He, he but he, he one of the things that he told me this week is that this is very different from the G 2015 polls in many ways. 
but mainly because this is not a party issue. So it's really, really difficult for us to to take what happened at the G2015 referendum and take the mistakes that were made by the pollsters and apply them to here because it, it, it goes across parties. You know, mm. UKIP, UKIP support is, is completely different to Remain support. Uh, and, and obviously the problems that we had with, with Labour being overestimated in the polls before, you know, we, we could say that, you know, Remain's being overestimated in the polls, but, but it's completely different. There are some Remain, Remainers that are Labour, there are some Remainers that are outers. It, it's a completely different ballgame, I think. I think it's really difficult to, to put the same things across the spectrum. But Anne, you were in Scotland, I think, during the uh, mm. referendum campaign there, and there was the big YouGov poll that put yeah. independence ahead two or three weeks before the referendum and the, the whole political world went completely mad. They cancelled PMQs. PMQs, love bombs. Journalists who were banking on going up for a couple of days before the vote <laughs> were suddenly dispatched for weeks. weeks in advance. And, and it, but it really, one poll really changed the whole dynamic and the, and the uh, Westminster government started making all sorts of... Pro- the vow became a big thing of the promising more powers mm. to Scotland. And, and although secretly we think maybe we shouldn't trust polls, the trouble is they do have an impact. Well, weirdly, I think the polls actually seem to work in Scotland. And it's got to be with the fact that it's quite a small country and somehow the way they do their polling there is much more predictable. Um, They got the polls right in Scotland in 2015. Where they have huge issues is England. They cannot... The pollsters have had... uh, I I don't know what's... I think the polls are broken, personally. Um, I mean, we're all rather addicted to them. I mean, I am also addicted to them. I love sort of trying to figure out what's going to happen. But they don't seem to be able to poll the people in England who are actually going to vote the way they say they're going Mm. to vote. And that's the real issue. I, I personally wish that some some of the pollsters would actually start coming up with some different kinds of numbers and different kinds of ways of doing things and try and... Because I think the old way of saying this is what people are going to vote... I mean, lots of people haven't made up their mind. You know, I haven't made up my mind. Um, you know, so I think that, that that's also an issue, that people are changing their minds. And I think one of the um, issues with the polling is that it's quite expensive to do. So the, the, the day-to-day, week-by-week polling polls that we get, they only survey about 1,000 people and then try to extrapolate that massively, whereas what uh, John Curtis does is much, much bigger, tens of thousands of people, which in theory gives you a better picture. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that, particularly with the EU referendum, question try to nail down somebody now to make it to how they would vote seems quite a yeah quite a i mean we haven't, we haven't actually come, finally got what the treaty renegotiation yeah. is yet so um <laughs> people definitely don't know what they're going to be polled on or being voting on um, having said that it's not going to stop me introducing <laughs> a new uh fun element to the times web box podcast between now and whenever we get the referendum i'm going to ask all the panelists to predict what the v- percentage vote mm. share that Remain is going to get. I'll let you have two decimal places. <laughs> if you want to be, And there'll be some that sort accurate, of really yeah. lacklustre prize at the end so, of it. Well, whoever gets closest. Whoever gets closest will be crowned some sort of great say. I mean, obviously, people who are closer to the actual vote will have, yeah. have, have a much... So you've got the worst possible... You yeah, could, we're going really well, yeah. So, Anne, do you want to start? What, what percentage vote do you think Remain will have? Oh, God. Oh, 53%. 53. You're not going to have the luxury of a decimal place? You're going to go solid? No, I'm going for... 53. No, 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 no. I don't do decimal places. <laughs> Philip, you, you, you deal with <laughs> decimal to, places all the time. I have to deal with decimal places. So go yeah, on. 55.27, to be specific. 55.27. And yeah. Natasha? Well, since everybody else has gone low, I guess I'll, I'll go for a little bit high. I'll go for 56. 
56. A flat yep. 56? Go on, a flat 56. Flat 56. Very good. And we'll revisit that every week to see how... Well, all it's going to probably end up showing is how little any of us know about... Uh, yes, that's very helpful. ...about any of this. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, Anne, let's move on now to... Um, it is still politics, but politics in a sort of broader sense. And yeah. the Garden Bridge, Joanna Lumley's Garden Bridge. Yeah. What's wrong with it? I think the main... There's quite a, according to architectural experts in these kinds of people, there's quite a lot wrong with it. But I think um, for our purposes, what's wrong with it or right with it is that it's a kind of a folly, uh, which normally I approve of completely. I mean, I love follies, but I mean, it is a folly. It is a bridge with trees on it being put in central London between two other bridges, not really very far from them. There's no actual purpose in terms of transport you know it's not going to help a get to b except possibly a few lawyers in middle temple will be able to whip <laughs> over to <laughs> waterloo slightly faster and it's because it has trees obviously there's a view situation so it's going to block some views and you know how people feel about views how so we've got the trees going to be um well i assume they're going to be trees I mean, trees are trees. I mean, but they're going to need to grow. So could we be thinking it's like twenty years time? Yeah, I mean, it's a great. And actually, it will. You know, it could provide a hedgeway superhighway. I mean, it will be terrific for hedgehogs. Commuting hedgehogs. Commuting hedgehogs are going to be Waterloo quickly. But basically, what's happened is, you know, Joanna Lumley, who is a national treasure. I think we can all agree on that. She loves it. But she loves it. Yes. Boris loves it. And because also a national treasure. And Boris has given, and so that, you know, originally it was all going to be private money. Then it got a little expensive, as these bridges do. I think we all remember the Wobbly Bridge. Still a bit wobbly. And so now, th- now George, you know, Mr. Mr. Austerity has found 30 million, that he's, he's matching Boris's 30 million. We're now talking real money. And I think people are, at least I love this question, you know, why not Newcastle? I mean, why not Manchester? Why are we sticking this marvellous... I, I love the idea of a living bridge, um, but I just think it's a folly. And I don't know, I read um, a piece the other day that, you know, you could five... A lot of museums are closing down. I mean, all councils are handling their arts and leisures budgets differently. But, you know, the local museums, which actually I know sound boring, but they aren't boring. Many of them are great, yeah, 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 actually. Yeah, yeah. And regional theatre, a lot of it is actually brill and coming in, a lot of them have shows coming into London, West End. So what I'm trying to say is uh, the regions are not sort of deadsville out there. Um, you know, why not, why not sort of think about doing some of that kind of thing with your 60 million? Philip, what do you make of it? How, how do you think Manchester and Newcastle would feel if they were suddenly told <laughs> they were having George Osborne's garden bridge <laughs> dropped Lumley's. on them? Joanna Lumley's <laughs> garden bridge dropped on them from a great height. If it, um, from an economic point of view, that it's gonna, it'll be stimulative for the the local economy, get jobs, um, um, and they've got something at the end of it. Sixty million of spending in the in, in the area. London doesn't need it, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. We don't. I mean, we get a bit too London centric, and obviously Boris. Is, I think it was mayor of London when he when he when he liked the idea. So uh, obviously he had a he had an agenda, but it does seem a little bit silly. Especially and follies originally were just kind of little pagodas, weren't they? And people or big got, pagodas, or yeah. big pagodas, yeah. but sixty million pound pagodas. Um, you know, I, it does seem a, a little bit unnecessary. Natasha, are you going to come out in defence of the Garden Bridge? No, I, I, oh, I no. don't like the idea. I'm really sorry. No, I, li- I like the idea of having another green space in London. There's not enough, but it's... It, oh calling it a green space is probably a bit of a stretch anyway i mean osborne could not you know rebrand it as a, as a northern powerhouse project move it up to <laughs> move it up to manchester liverpool somewhere like that um but how far are we exactly in planning this bridge and would that cause oh, quite, a huge far. kerfuffle i think we're quite far 
Yeah. yeah. I think that's so. why now there's like everyone is starting to get worked up about it because it, it might actually happen. I mean, we were talking about it. It's been sort of discussed in the background for some time, but... I think Osborne, Osborne said the first thing he was told to do when he when he went, went into the Treasury was to cancel Crossrail and to cancel some of these big projects. Mm. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because it's very important for uh, for the infrastructure of the country. But I think this one, the, he, he could he could <laughs> yeah. legitimately cancel and just uh, say, we, we have got a little bit of a spending crisis. So but he's already maybe, said, I'll have you, give you the money. To you to now yeah. U-turn on that would be hilariously disastrous yeah. for him. It wouldn't sure. be the first time that George Osborne's U-turn or something. But maybe, maybe, maybe it is a great monument to the fact that we are emerging from austerity and the the good times could be back yeah. and why cut why why not and i know why not build that, a 60 million pounds <laughs> no no it's way more than that i mean there's oh, a huge amount that. of private money going in oh, I mean, but then we're only giving 60 millions worth of right. money, so. perhaps it's george osborne's way of keeping boris on side for a potential leadership bid yeah and then force boris to cancel it exactly it's <laughs> yeah. all your fault boris later on and then he'll you know fall flat on his face i'm, I'm not sure that we're winning a lot of support for the garden bridge but the, but does have big support. It does have big support. Does, and also, you, I mean, but aren't they all? Are they all lovies? Are they all people who who maybe ought to get out no, of London? No, I and think, and I also think it would be. Uh, dare I say it? I think it would probably be extremely popular because you know, I mean there are bridges, obviously, but you can't kind of hang out on them and sort of uh, <laughs> read poetry or or you know look at sort of an exciting butterfly and that kind of thing. So um, you know that. It will undoubtedly enhance the London, but um, I also think this concept that it, London is going to be a green city is, as long as um, Heathrow is 10 million times over the air quality of control, I mean, you know, there's lots of environmental issues in London that the Green Bridge may not fix. Yes, <laughs> that might not address it on its own. Yeah. may plaster over the holes a little bit, though. Bring our air well, quality a down a percentage. But it sort of feels like that, because the, the tough stuff is, you know, taxing people's diesel cars or yeah. increasing the congestion charge. But actually, if you could just point and say, yeah, but look, over there's a lovely bridge over there yeah. with yeah. some lovely flowers on it. Good. Well, I'm glad we've agreed on that. So, uh, <laughs> none of us are in favour of it, but uh, Jana Lumley is. I'm kind of in favour of it. You are. But, yeah, but you're performing else. an Osborne-esque U-turn now. No, no, no. I'm in favour of um, of these kind of projects, but I really kind of think London is not the place for it, frankly. London's got enough. Would you support it if it was just private money going into it as well? Well, I think it's a, uh, probably, but I don't know actually. I still think it should go somewhere else. I think it's. I do think it's a bit of crowded bits. It's a crowded bit of the Thames, frankly. Well, if you're listening and you want the, the Garden Bridge <laughs> to come to you, uh, let us know on. I don't uh, think anyone let wants us know the damn via, thing. Yeah, if anybody will take it off our hands, uh, let us know on Twitter. Use uh, at Times uh, Red Box. Well, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. As ever, you can subscribe to the Red Box podcast via iTunes, and for uh, lots more in-depth political analysis and comment, visit the website thetimes.co.uk/forward/slash/redbox, where you can also sign up to my morning email briefing but for now from philip natasha and anne and for me it's goodbye thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk this episode of politics without the boring bits is brought to you by luton rising owners of london luton airport the uk's most socially impactful airport find out more at lutonrising.org.uk When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.